Assalamu alaikum. Welcome to episode six of the Mind Heist podcast. In this episode, we talk about living in different countries, cultural differences, and if you should consider moving to the Muslim world. Enjoy it and uh, see you next time, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum, everybody. It's it's another episode of Mind Heist. Yay. Another delayed episode. What excuse do we have this week? What do you mean another delayed? This is the first delayed one, I think. No, because, yeah, I suppose this was a whole week delay. Last yeah. last one, we managed to get it within the week still. Yeah, yeah, so, true. So it doesn't count. It's not a big deal, man. It's not a big deal. It's not like I was I had people badgering me for it. You I did or didn't? I, you I did. did. I had a few. I, yeah. I think a couple of people asked me, where where is it at? Well, but, uh, yeah. I mean, was ill. Are you feeling any better? Yeah, alhamdulillah. No, that's not why I didn't record. I didn't record because I wasn't, I wasn't at home at the time. I didn't realize I wouldn't be at home when we oh. were supposed to record. Oh, I can't remember what happened to me. Oh, we made plans to record, but then I had a... Uh, a family get together and it's very was difficult it, was it worth it <laughs> oh man i had like a, an entire lamb like you know those like you know when you go to the middle east and you see like a lamb that's on a plate like a whole lamb and it's just sitting there that was i don't, I don't know what, oh, oh you mean like in the khalid like on yeah. top of rice yeah 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 that yeah, was literally yeah. presented to me not on my own of course but i was just like wow this is a bit much this is <laughs> Better than podcasting, anyway. Okay, so it's worth it. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get on to this week's topic. Uh, this week's topic is living in loads of different countries and moving between cities even, and uh, how, how that affects your life and your understanding of yourself and the world and all that good stuff. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and uh, we're qualified, of course, to speak about this because... Um, <laughs> we are. Uh, well, um, myself, I lived in uh, how many cities? Like one, two, three, four, five, six cities in uh, three different countries. What about yourself? Um, let me think. I lived in one, two, three, four, four, I think, maybe. Cities or countries? Oh, so two different cities and then... Two two other countries apart from England. Okay, two yeah. others, yeah. Well, I did live in Morocco for a bit, and ah. then I lived in Tunisia for longer. I don't remember okay. Morocco too much though, because I was too young. But Tunisia, I'm pretty. I can speak about Tunisia. Fair enough. That'll, that's okay. Be my, uh, what about uh, which city in Morocco? Uh, in La Reche. La Reche. So it's north, up, right? Yeah, up north. Okay, cool. So. um so yeah, man. I don't know. Like, okay. So give us a timeline, Yanni. When did you? Because when since you moved to the UK, you haven't moved since, right? Uh, since I came back from. So I was born in Essex, right? And then I think I went. I moved to Morocco at some point. Yeah, but I was on my like not on my own, but I was with my fat my like grandmother and that. My mum right. and my dad stayed in England, and then I came back to England, and then I think. I eventually went to Tunisia, sort of mm. on my own again, well, right. with my auntie, and then I stayed there up until maybe nine or ten, I think maybe nine, mm. and then I came back 
to Brighton. Yeah. Instead of Essex, and then I've been in Brighton since then, but I do okay. visit quite often. Mm. So yeah, you still you still kind of in the developing mode when you, you before you got to Brighton, where you like more stable. So yeah, yeah, it would have had some kind of effect on you for sure. Yeah, um, and we'll we'll discuss that inshallah. Uh, um, yeah, so uh, myself, um, I was born in the UK. I left the UK when I was six. Um, and I went back to the UK when I was uh, 20. Oh, wow. Uh, and then I stayed there for four years. So I haven't lived in the UK too much, but I've moved around a lot. I've, I've traveled uh, quite a bit like in terms of just like visiting Algeria and different places. So it, it does give you uh, an idea uh, when you're visiting somewhere as well as when you, obviously when you live there, you get a better sense of things. But visiting also broadens your mind and kind of, um, opens your mind up to how people are different and how people live differently, you know. Yeah. So, what, um, what other? So yeah. that's a living. What? So, in terms of like traveling to different countries to visit, yeah. name me a few places you've been. Uh, I've I've been to Oman, Bahrain. That's the close places. I've been to Thailand. I've been to France, Germany, Spain, Sweden. Oh wow! Um, you're a bit of a traveler. Uh, yeah, and Algeria. That's about it, really. Not you that put, much. Putting my humble little list to shame. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, like for example, I, I went to France. I went to France and Spain in the same trip because it's just easy, isn't it? Oh right, yeah. So, oh yeah, you know. I did that actually. I forget. I keep forgetting I've been to Spain, but I didn't really do anything. I just drove through it. Okay, right. Well, the secret of my travels is that most of it was paid for by other people. <laughs> like, uh, like oh. Thailand was. Uh, part of Duke of Edinburgh and that was paid for by uh, well actually um, all the people that were supposed to be doing this trip we all uh, did all this fundraising stuff but then by the time we were supposed to go on the trip everyone had dropped out except f except for me and everyone else was like oh I'm rich I'll pay for it myself so yeah. all the crowdfunded money came to me so I didn't pay for it right um, in terms of going to Germany, that was as well uh, with uni. I don't. I wouldn't really say that was free because I did pay for for that degree and stuff. Hmm. Um, oh yeah, I've been to Turkey three times. I didn't mention that. Oh. Uh, one of those times was was with uni as well. So uh, quite a lot of it. Uh, then I went. I went to Bahrain. That was with the rugby team. So again, that was actually. I think I paid for that, but you know, it's not that expensive because um, just around the corner. So yeah, like. Uh, it's not like uh, it wasn't like all, all this holiday stuff. It was more like I don't know, just getting involved in stuff and ending up uh, going ending to these up, places, ending up on the plane against yeah. your will. <laughs> no, not like that at all. <laughs> Alhamdulillah, though, it's very good, man. Right, so, right. like, w when you think of this topic, and uh, maybe you're different to some of your friends, perhaps having lived in different countries, what what comes into your head as like what makes you different because you lived that way? Um, I think it's it's weird because for me personally, you you have this uh, bit of a conflict that you don't really know where to call home. Yeah. Because uh, yeah, I was born in Britain, but um, you identify a lot with your you know where your parents are from. Yeah. But then when you go to where your parents are from, they don't consider you one of them. They just consider you a British boy. So right. for a long time, I was like, oh. I, I'm not Britain. I'm not Britain. I'm not British in Britain. Yeah. And I'm not, you know, North African in North Africa. So what? Yeah. What am I? So it's very, very confusing. 
Yeah. So until today, you're kind of uh, in uh, that phase kind of thing where you don't know. Yeah, I guess it doesn't bother me as much anymore because um, towards like the later stages of teenage my teenage years i started identifying with people that were actually in the same circumstance as me like right. you know people that may have been born here but have family back home because before mm. that which i've mentioned many times maybe on this show i didn't hang around with you know i didn't have a circle of arabs or you know second generation muslims or whatever mm. i just used to hang around with your you know white british rock norm. band oh, oh god uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned that on another episode. I did, yeah. I did. I bet. I wonder how many people are frantically like googling and YouTubing trying to find something, but you won't find I don't anything. Know what to search, man? Exactly. Alhamdulillah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, I don't know. I, I'm actually different in the sense where calling somewhere home um, doesn't bother me anymore. Right. Like, I don't know if it bothered me that much before, but uh, I kind of, I'm, like a few years ago, I was just like, Halasi, Annie, mo- most people in the world have somewhere they call home, somewhere that they expect to like live and die in. Um, I just don't have that. And like, so be it. And uh, instead of uh, like, I, I uh, what's the word? Embraced it in the sense where I'm like, okay, well, they have somewhere to call home. They have some kind of stability. They have like friends that they'll like live around for life and all of that. Yeah. Meanwhile, I'm, uh, I'm actually really flexible and I can move to different cities and stuff easily. I don't have any attachment to anywhere. Yeah. And so, you know, like I always, always wonder, like it's amazing to me how people live in the UK or people live in Iceland or people live in Alaska because if you had the choice you wouldn't live in those places but why do people stay there even though maybe the weather's not so good maybe there aren't many resources there um, they stay because they're attached to it and because they have roots there yeah and so that's quite fascinating to me and I don't have that kind of thing you know I mean I do to an extent but it's crazy, you know. People live in Siberia, you know. Like it's mm. so hard to live there. Mm. But it's just like you know, I was born here. My dad was born here. My grandfather was born, and it's just like you know, we're staying here. There's a human. There's some sort of human uh, nature in regards to land and and possessing land and being proud of it. Of course, and yeah. then that's that's heightened a lot with nationalism and you know yeah. things like that, which you know it has its pros and it has its cons. A lot yeah. of the time, we only focus on its cons, but yeah, as Muslims, yeah, yeah, of course. Um, but, depends, but I would though. actually, I kind of call Algeria home. If I have to pick one, I would call Algeria home because that's the place I feel like I'm. I have more. Uh, I'm more entitled to kind of be there and be a full citizen. And uh, yeah, um, I don't know. Like I've I've got a lot of family there. I've got citizenship. Um, the government is is pretty good in terms of uh, I'm going to be able to keep my citizenship. I've got quite a bit of freedom there, um, you know. And I feel like uh, that's it. The average Algerian is like me compared to in other countries where the average person is not like me. So the closer you are to the average person, the safer you are, I feel. Yeah. Um, because if you're a minority, like you're always going to be kind of pushed aside just because that's normal. Like the majority is going to have a louder voice and stuff. So, uh, yeah. Uh, And Algeria as well, like the privilege of being Algerian is you can like own land there and uh, foreigners can't own land there. 
and a lot of countries aren't like that so it's like uh, oh, you, yeah. you have a kind of advantage as well in that sense as far uh, as my uh, knowledge yeah. is you Algeria doesn't like push outside tourism very much <clears throat> no man it's, it's difficult to get into Algeria so uh, that's that's a good thing I think for, for us in a sense that like we um, yeah we don't get like we don't have McDonald's in Algeria like they weren't allowed in so <laughs> that le- that gives space for people to do businesses without the um, competition from these huge companies yeah but the problem is that those companies haven't been set up yet like no one has made the Algerian McDonald's yet <laughs> but um, probably happened soon because I was thinking that recently because um, I'm planning to go at some point yeah. uh, and obviously I just assumed that I could just use my British passport yeah. for, uh, for my son as well but now I've got a Tunisian passport so it's fine but mm. I still haven't sorted one out for my son so I can't take him unless he's got that yeah you know, so, so you can go um, you could go with your Tunisian passport without a visa that's what I've heard yeah Okay, you could a uh, British one. You, you just need a visa. Like they'll give it to you probably. Yeah. Uh, especially if you're you have family or whatever that are Algerian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm it's not like a it. joke. Like like Morocco, you just turn up um, with a British passport and you just go through, isn't it? But yeah. Algeria is not like that. Yeah, we, I go we screen to, everyone. <laughs> exactly. I mean, in Morocco, I I go in with my Moroccan pass, my British passport because right. I don't have a Moroccan passport. Okay. Yeah. I I always tell people, man, like if you if your parents like if you you know I guess a lot of people are listening are from the UK. If your parents are from wherever, yeah, Bangladesh, Pakistan, whatever, get the other passport. You, yeah, I know you like you're gonna have a British passport. Get the other one because it's gonna it's useful. Why not? Firstly, why not? It's a little bit of effort, and you're yeah. gonna have another citizenship, and it allows you to go to that country. It allows you to have a, a kind of plan B, per, perhaps. Uh, oh, yeah. All of that stuff, man. And also, some like Britain, uh, the, the passport of Britain is quite powerful, right? Yeah. However, certain countries will have close relations. For example, uh, I heard you can uh, live in, you can very easily get a visa to live, uh, like residence visa in Malaysia if you're yeah. Algerian. Oh, yeah. wow. So it's like because Malaysia and Algeria have decent relations, also Algeria and Turkey have decent relations. So, um, it's not all about Britain always. There are like relationships between countries that allow you to do certain things and stuff that, you know, you might not be able to do um, with the British passport and stuff. Yeah. No, so you're right. You're right. I mean, I've, I, it's so much easier as well. Like when I'm in Tunisia, just using my Tunisian ID card, my Tunisian passport, all of that stuff. Because they just treat yeah. you like, you know, one of their own. Whilst if you've got the, uh, the good old red passport of Britain, mm. you just get sort of treated like a tourist i suppose right yeah that's uh, that's a problem you said uh, like when you go to tunisia and stuff um you you don't really fit in fully to yeah. what extent like um well growing up you when you were when you were younger a lot of like older people would just always throw the question at you what country do you love more this or that or the, well considering i'm split <laughs> yeah considering i'm split as as moroccan yeah. as well yeah so they're like, oh, do you like England or Morocco, Tunisia more? And I'm just always like having to ask. And you'd be surprised like how often. I feel like every single person that yeah. I'd meet would ask me that question. Like, you know, yeah. when you're out with your, your parents or your dad or something and your, your dad's mates come up to you and they're like, oh, yeah. you know, you're a man now, blah, blah, blah. Oh, what, what what's your favorite country? Or are you, do you think you're Tunisian? Whatever, I don't know. It's just, 
But right now, I don't really. It's funny because I get the exact same question. Yeah, yeah, and then that that always used to confuse me growing up. I mean, I went to school in Tunisia, so I, you know, I did maybe two or three years there, and um, when I was, I've always like I, I always wanted to leave because not that I didn't enjoy it there, I I sort of got on with it and that became all I knew. But then the moment like my dad was like, oh, do you want to move back to the UK? I was like, yeah. And Mm. then I remember him asking me why and I was like, because it's clean. (laughs) I used to say because it's clean. Because like, yeah, because we... not clean? No, because I, well, I used to live in um, more of a rural area. So it's like farmland, quite, you know, dusty... Uh, oh, when you say clean, you don't mean rubbish. Yeah, you mean yeah, like, uh, yeah. Sanitary. Yeah, but probably because of rubbish as well, because people Ooh. didn't have like you know they don't have public bins and that they just have piles of rubbish on a random stretch. Oh of road yeah, or, yeah. I know, you know about that. Yeah, and then course. every few months they burn it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I know about that. So that's that sort of thing, you know. And then I remember like my last day there before I came to England. Um, it wasn't even sad. Like you know when you're you're meant to be sad to say goodbye to your friends and that. I was just like, all right, see you later, bye. And I just ran home. <laughs> that was it, like on my last day of school. But um, yeah, I, I can't lie. Like the thing is, that so that, that kind of set me off. So when I was going through, you know, growing up in England and then teenager, like that whole period sort of made me avoid Arabs and stuff like that because I didn't mm. want to think about that kind of three years you, I spent in Tunisia yeah right. but then when I started yeah. practicing and started you know yeah. that's when I started having an appreciation for where I was from and then I mm. started really sort of longing to be back in Tunisia and I'd go to Tunisia and you know make friends again and right. go out with people and you know so so what why is that is it because is it out of ignorance like um you know like I don't know in Tunisia probably a lot of people you know they want to leave isn't it Oh, they yeah. want to leave because they think it's better uh, yeah. elsewhere, right? Yeah. So that you could call that ignorance because they don't know what it's like in in other countries, right? Yeah. But or is it arrogance, like, or actually I'm British and Britain's better and all this stuff? Um, well, when I was there, hmm. r- maybe a few years ago, I had this conversation with some Tunisian boys there, and they were going on about how they desperately want to go out, yeah, like just leave. And I was like, life. yeah, and I was like, you desperately want to leave, and some of us are desperately trying to get back, yeah, because they just, and that's that's the thing, everybody wants what they don't have, of um, and he, you know, fair enough to them, he was saying like, there's no jobs here, there's no this, there's no that, and I was like, yeah, yeah. I guess so, and yeah. you know, maybe they're not in the same position that I am. Like, if I wanted to go back to Tunisia, I could probably do so quite comfortably because my dad worked hard to sort of set stuff up. Mm. you know and that's why he's always there so it's not difficult for me but yeah for other people that are there when they've just been born and raised there maybe they don't have the opportunities so yeah maybe I can say that yeah there might be ignorance of the lifestyle here and how it's like it which they are because when you do come here it's not going to be like everything handed to you on a plate mm-hmm. you know but at the same time with some economic situations and the lack of jobs and unemployment and that you still can't blame them for having that sort of temptation yeah of course but what about yourself like why did you want to leave um part of it i mean was, i know you were pretty young isn't it? yeah i was young but i also like my mum and dad weren't with me so right. i always had you know and i they'd come every summer or so 
for a mm. bit. To I don't know, and they'd always come with gifts and stuff. And I don't know, just just because I did go to school in the UK before I went to Tunisia, so yeah. I did have some sort of upbringing here. And then like you know, toys and and games and all sorts of stuff I had to leave behind. I mean, mm. in Tunisia where I lived at the time, you couldn't even get a chocolate bar. Yeah, like. And, and and I've said that to my wife recently. She was amazed because you you couldn't. You had to go all the way to the you know three hours drive into the capital to yeah. get something like that. So that you was know, before though, right? Well, not yeah, this was yeah. Now it's a yeah. bit different. But back then, yeah. like you couldn't get crisps. You couldn't yeah, get chocolate. And I'm not saying like I'm not saying that just because that was my whole decision. But as a kid, mm. you think about those things more than most people. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah. yeah, like I had a magazine from the UK. Like you know, a, a monthly magazine issues. They come out every month. I had okay. one one magazine, yeah. and I just read that all the yeah. time, and it was just for the whole year. I was reading this one magazine, like constantly, just going through it because it was the only bit of the UK that I had left, right. you know. And I guess yeah, partly. So I wanted to be with my my mum and dad again. Uh, I wanted to be, you know, I wanted I wanted the sort of entertainment and the culture and the toys and whatever because I was a kid yeah. at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, that's it, really. Um, because yeah, so the UK seemed more fun, probably. Yeah, it was all fun and games because yeah. I, you know you're from six to nine or whatever it was. You just that's all you care about. Yeah, it's true. It's true. You know when I uh, so I went to uh, school in the UAE. Like my whole schooling was in the UAE. Uh, mm. It was a British school, but uh, when I went to the UK uh, when I was twenty, like I said, <laughs> I didn't realize how it was different to schools in the UK. So. I was teaching in the UK and I get into the school and I'm teaching and I just realized like how different my schooling was oh, right. because the standards in the UK are so strictly enforced whereas in in the UAE like in my school at least it was more like of a joke like more of like just more relaxed you know really um yeah like it, I wouldn't say the standards are really low and the teaching was so bad. It was just like more relaxed atmosphere, man. Like, like the teachers are, because the teachers are, are enjoying life as well. They're not so uptight because oh, uh, right. they're, they're getting paid pretty well. Um, and also the, there isn't pressure from the, the management to make them work hard and do crazy hours. Okay. So they have more freedom. They have better pay. So they're going to be more relaxed. Then also, uh, we didn't have this thing of like all these exams and like all this pressure for exams. It, maybe that's because of um, uh, times as well change, but also the whole thing was relaxed. The uniform was more relaxed. We didn't have no jacket, no tie, none of that. Really? We had uh, at one point we actually just had a polo shirt okay. as our as our uniform. Um, obviously, that's because of the weather as well. You don't you're not going to wear jackets and all that. Yeah, um, and. Uh, yeah, so overall it was, it was very relaxed. It was uh, it was a more like uh, what's the word? It was a bit more raw, you know, like informal. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's why I enjoyed it as well more. Like uh, I feel like I enjoyed my school schooling, like time in school. We we messed around and we learned as well, and we got some you know experiences and stuff out of it. Whereas I felt like when I was teaching these kids in school. Everything is, um, it's it's not <clears throat> it's not organic, you know. It's By like the book. everything's like rules and yeah. like don't jump around. Like <laughs> I don't know, it was much more like that. So that, that when, surprises me. So when I, because uh, obviously I was a teacher, right? And so I was, I'm looking at the teachers in the UK, 
and I'm looking at how they implement uh, you know their lesson plans and how they do this and this and I compare it to in in my school I'm thinking wow like these guys were chilling like they weren't they didn't have all these they didn't have to meet all these standards because you know like you get um, observed and stuff as a teacher yeah um, it seems like observations were more uh, regular in the UK as well so yeah. there's more pressure to stay on top of all the because uh, I think as a teacher you've got these nine criteria that you're judged by you've got to try and implement each one of these in your lessons and all this but so yeah when I got to UK I was like wow um, I was chilling I was casual over over, and I like it I like yeah. that part as well I'm surprised because I thought that it would be the opposite I figured that maybe elsewhere it was a lot more strict a lot harsher well it depends man because over here if you go to an indian school it's going to be mad strict probably it's going to yeah. be get your head down and uh, you know get on with it kind of thing yeah. arab schools um like the schools run by arabs uh, they they probably most of them follow american curriculum you know they were also pretty casual um obviously in arab culture is more of an aspect of get your head down and do it uh, yeah. but but also compared to the uk Certain parts of it were quite um, casual as well. So, the only uh, um, yeah. only idea I have is cause my cousins live in Dubai. Yeah. So I remember when I was there, I sort of got a little glimpse of their school life, and it was like it did remind me of like those American movies, just like the stuff that they get up to and yeah, it's culture. more American, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because America's pretty casual as well in general. And also in America, they don't have uniforms and all of that. Yeah. But, but, I mean, uh, but there are some schools in Dubai that are quite more like the UK, though. Like, even in, imagine even in the weather here, they have to wear jackets and ties and all that. But because we weren't in Dubai as well, it was like just chilled. It was the only British school in the city. So if you want to go to a British school, you got to go to this one. So the, the, the management didn't have to be that on point. They didn't have to get amazing teachers, get great teaching and great grades for your kids yeah it's like well you're gonna come here anyway so that was a bit of the bad side i guess as well oh god well and what about you when you're going from tunisia to like school in tunisia to the uk did that hit you at all yeah i mean tunisia at the time i don't know about after you know after year three or because that's i think i got up to year three and right keeping in mind that i was sort of a year older than everyone else because i had to start again when I got there I don't know mm. yeah like something like that anyway but I just remember like everything being really strict single desks uh, uniform uh, corporal punishment yeah <laughs> um, um, trying to think what else yeah like and the teachers were very um, they just used their own agency in terms of like how to Discipline people like there wasn't like a set like you know obviously in the UK you've got oh detention and you've got this warning and that right. warning and all of you yeah. know the structured uh, discipline outlook you know but there yeah. it was like just you take your own initiative like yeah and I could tell you like but the thing is these things are normal to a lot of Arabs a lot of Tunisians a lot of people like here it's unheard of like to be hit or to be you know. Yeah. ridiculed like because i have a lisp if you haven't noticed right so when i was there um and i was obviously my arabic wasn't amazing anyway because i've only just sort of started right. but because i couldn't pronounce a word correctly because of my lisp she made me mm. stand up 
and yeah. like every time I would she would like say it and I'd say it and I could say it wrong and then she would hit me and then she'd say, say it again and I'd say and I was literally up there for like 10 minutes just getting traumatised yeah because I, could, I physically couldn't I was doing the best I could and I physically couldn't but like stuff yeah. like that um, what else like I remember we had a you know the BCG injections no what's that for so it's just some sort of immunisation yeah um, and the doctor must have come into class and 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 did the injection to all the kids but you know yeah. kids don't want to cry in front of each other so they start sort okay. of giggling yeah. you know at the pain and then yeah. the doctor leaves yeah. she didn't like that very much so she lined everybody up on you know against the wall and just yeah. went one by one just smacking each one of them on the hand <laughs> with like a hose pipe or something i know this like we're getting deep into the schooling and that but it is <laughs> you know it's part of uh, part of the culture isn't it yeah, but yeah. i i asked recently when i went back i asked like the you know the kids there now Hmm. And they were just like, oh, that only happens in like second, third year. Afterwards, that's not going to happen. But right. to me, that was my whole, my whole, you know, experience. Yeah, my whole experience. So that's all I can think of. Okay, but in Tunisia, like, they still hit kids in schools. I don't know. Well, maybe when they're young. Maybe when they're in Algeria, like they don't really. I don't know. They probably haven't anymore. But this is like, I can't remember the year. Like early two thousands, late nineties. Yeah. I don't know. But by the way, like in the UK, they used to hit kids up until like just thirty years ago or something. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. that's true. That's true. Like uh, my mum got hit in school and stuff. Yeah, so you're right. uh, yeah, but uh, um, yeah, things have changed as well, which is, is interesting. Like you know, in Algeria, uh, you, you teachers don't really hit kids. Right. Sometimes kids go nuts and they start hitting teachers. You know, some yeah. teachers they got killed by by uh, yeah. students. No doubt, um, of course. This is just uh, this is kind of crazy. It's kind of a wild west sometimes. Oh. But uh, yeah. So what? What other? Like I, I like this of kind of thing of the cultural differences. Like there is one thing I want to talk about in terms of cultural difference: the yeah. relationship between men and women right. are different from culture to culture. So yeah, of course. one thing I've learned about Tunisia specifically is that women are way more dominant than men. Right. Despite it's it's a bit of a mixed bag. So you've got outwardly, yeah, you may have men leading because men are men, and, and do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. But underneath all of that, it's the women yeah. who are calling the shots always, and I think yeah. a lot of that is to do with um, men not necessarily being the best of men in Tunisia. Like we have a, and you know, I'll say it as it is, we have like a really bad alcohol problem in Tunisia like really right. bad so a lot of men that's what they spend most of their time and money doing when right. they're not working and then because of that you get a lot of abuse at home mm. right so and I'm not saying this like it's one or two cases this is like widespread and mm. and, and and I could you know you could say oh but this is only in your village no because mm. I see it on the TV like in, in, in Tunisia all the time because they have like these shows like Jeremy Kyle style shows now in yeah. Tunisia yeah. and you can just see the problems and everything's like the same thing everything starts with alcohol and it's always that so I think what happened is a lot of women felt the need to sort of be their own and, and make their own decisions and lead yeah. and get harsher and, and so you're saying this is a more recent thing no last, well uh, f last 50 to 100 years. oh maybe yeah last 50 to yeah. 100 um yeah. and then obviously combine that with like post-colonialism combine that with uh yeah. you know um, lack of jobs and all that lack of jobs women like I, mean, I don't know what it's like in algeria but like when you when you're driving across farmland 
yeah. and fields, it's always the women working and never the men. So the women yeah. are the ones picking the crops, and the women are the ones uh, in the sulk selling stuff. Mm. Women literally do everything, and men are always in the cafe. Oh, I don't see that. In the farming thing, I don't see that really. Really? That yeah. really surprised me, because I thought that was like widespread. I thought that was all over North Africa. But in, in the farms, it's just always women. So mm. because of that, yeah, there's that. But then when I go you know, to other countries, or if I see like <clears throat> at least the stories that I hear from like Middle East, Saudi, that kind of, you know, the other kind of end of the Arab spectrum, yeah. it's the complete opposite. Like, right. you know, women may not be seen as much or they may, they might be, everything is done for them more or, you know yeah. what I mean? I think, uh, what you said about women, uh, I think women have way more power outside of the, let's say, Western world yeah. um, than anyone thinks. Yeah. Um, but it's just that the power is less um, uh, explicit and it's less uh, out in the open, per se. Yeah. It's, it's, more public, like, uh, it's more like soft power versus uh, hard power. You know, um, you know they say like, you know, soft power is like media, um, you know, this kind of influence, and hard power is military, yeah? Yeah. So I think, like... In in most of the, most of the let's say Arab world or Muslim world, um, the men will be the leaders in the house. They might make the final decisions and stuff. Yeah, um, they're the authority figures. Uh, but the women will uh, influence some of their decisions and stuff like that. Yeah, and uh, you know, men will often uh, if if a woman has different uh, like his wife has different opinion, like he might just be like okay, like whatever kind of thing. Yeah. As long as he feels like he's making the decision, he's in charge. It usually you get to this compromise, which is what I feel is very natural, where the man feels in charge, and he is in charge, but then the woman has her influence on him, and it's like a very good balance going on. Mm. So, uh, but it's, it sounds like there are some uh, little nuances which are different about Tunisia in the reasons for it and how far that goes. I mean, you have seen like, uh, it's sort of public knowledge about the whole kind of uh, emergence of this late stage feminism in Tunisia. Right, so yeah. you've got a lot of outside Western feminist funding coming into Tunisia and sort of oh, yeah. spreading this kind of you know movement, yeah. um, which isn't always taken because a lot of women there that do feel that way don't mm. want, don't feel like they need anyone telling them what to do in right. terms of from the from the outside world. Yeah. Um, so it is, yeah, it's very strange. But other, like you said, other other countries, it's a it's a different flip. I don't know. I'm trying to think of Morocco now, but I guess oh, I Mor think it's I think it's mostly the way I said it is. Like even Tunisia is this way. There's just some some nuances in how it's different. Like yeah. everywhere's going to have different. Like okay, I agree with you. Probably in the Gulf, women probably have less um, influence there. I mean, a lot of Islam really because it's also hard to tell from the outside how things yeah. are really working. Yeah, and this is the typical Orientalist mistake that that people make. Uh, looking at the culture from the outside is they they because they see men as being the the authorities uh, on the outside they assume that's how it actually is yeah but that's not really the case um in most cultures we're not even talking about just the muslim world here we're talking about like most of the world outside of the western world most of the world works like this so um and and because it because it's that way i feel like uh, it's kind of just a natural balance that is found um so yeah it is um, difficult here. I mean, I'm thinking of um, comparing that kind of thing to the UK, at least. Yeah. And, I mean, life here is becoming ever increasingly more difficult. Um, okay. I'm just like, uh, like I, obviously, I've started that new job, and there's 
there's women in my course at the moment that yeah. are like desperately trying to sort out childcare and mm. struggling to do so because they have no other choice but to work mm. full time. And like mm. in my head, that's like so difficult, especially when you when <clears throat> when generally a culture here doesn't really promote the sort of family connectivity that we have. Yeah, value. Like yeah. you know, like grandparents and. And, yeah. you know, families don't really stay connected. Some stay separate. Some stay in care homes. Some are very far apart from each other. Whilst here, like, yes, my wife currently works full time. Mm. I personally, like, we're thinking maybe probably not going to in the future. Maybe after this year, she'll move part time. But at the moment, we've got my mom and my dad. So my son's grandparents looking after yeah. him because we've got that sort of connection and yeah. we've got that sort of family structure. Yeah. But yeah. a lot of people don't and a lot of people lose that because they don't value it early on and it's not really ingrained in society as much anymore. Yeah, that's an interesting point because I know in Algeria that does happen. Like a uh, woman will go to work just because, uh, you know, they, they feel they need to, two incomes, isn't it? For yeah. Just to kind of live because salaries are low and stuff. Um, but she'll be able to leave her kids with uh, her sisters or her uh, mother or something like that. Yeah. And that's actually really healthy. Uh, well, it's not healthy being forced to do it because you have to work, but yeah. it's healthy to for your kids to spend time with someone other than their parents, you know, and yeah. get used to that. It's very good for uh, socializing, like learning to socialize and stuff. Um, you know, what, what I found was really fascinating when I went to the UK from, you know, living here for 20 years or let's say, uh, was it 14 years, um, going there... Um, the, the the whole identity thing and the whole Muslim uh, Muslim uh, community in the UK was very interesting to me because you know like in the Muslim world being Muslim is like normal in the right, sense yeah. like everyone yeah. in the community is going to be yeah. Muslim right yeah. so there isn't this whole there isn't this gap between he's practicing he's not practicing it's like okay yeah. like everyone's Muslim in the UK though. Uh, because because being Muslim, you're a min minority. There is a, like a pronounced uh, yeah. identity Practicing. around yeah. it, firstly, yeah. and also there's also more kind of categorizing of people. It's very interesting to me. But, well, there's I'd argue against that to an extent because okay. although everybody's considered Muslim, yeah. which you know, in in say in in North Africa, let's take take that as an example. Those who are outwardly more like following the sunnah are often called something so like in in tunisia it's come about recently that a salafi yeah. in tunisia is someone who is openly practicing in the sense that they're wearing thobes all the time a beard a yeah. kufi but then yeah. you know everybody's muslim right yeah. but here salafi can mean something else and do you understand mm. what i mean but like in in algeria for example you've got everybody's muslim but then you have someone called an Akhina who is actually with a beard and a thobe. And, do, you know, do you understand what I mean? So yeah. But those people are like 5% of the population, isn't it? Of course. But that's also, those people are what we'd consider practicing Muslims here. Oh, that's what you mean. I don't know about that, really. Really? I don't, that's not, I, I might have thought of that before. Yeah. But, um, you know, like in London, when I was living in London, I go to the Masjid yeah. uh, for Fajr, yeah? Yeah. Everyone, everyone that, that that is there for Fajr, they actually don't have a beard at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so um, I don't know. I, don't, I I kind of went beyond these categories. But, and but is that 
is that an age-related thing? Like, because those people tend to be older. You're right. It's a generation thing where yeah. most people that age, uh, they would not grow a beard. It's true. But I don't. Uh, so I kind of avoid categorizing in general because in Algeria, I see plenty of people who uh, they don't they don't look the part. But yeah. like, like I don't know. Like you see them in the masjid, they're making du'a. You feel like they really oh, yeah, mean yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Of course. And like they're praying and of course, like, no doubt. I don't know. I feel like in the UK, there's this obsession with um, with being uh, religious or seeming to be religious more than uh, it, it's a good thing and a bad thing, right? So there's more enthusiasm in the in the West. I can mm. say that for sure. At least with but, this generation, yeah, yeah. And obviously, the enthusiasm comes from uh, being a minority and seeing yourself as different and all yeah. of that stuff. Um, not to mention, perhaps it's also because the some of the non-islamic parts of uh, the culture of uh, people in the uk um they want to reject that and so they want to become more uh, islamic or religious right yeah. but in the outside of the west um there's more it's like we've got this base of yeah i pray i fast you know i make dua and i be good to my parents and give sadaqa and stuff uh, there isn't enthusiasm to improve as much but there's also other stuff which is neglected in the West, like oh, I'm trying to develop my country, trying to work hard, uh, stay, spend time with family. Um, mm. What's it called? Uh, like be be less individualistic as well. Like that's that's definitely neglected in the West, even by so-called religious people. This whole yeah. thing of like my, I was talking to my friend yesterday. He he's in Egypt right now. I'm like, uh, you know, what's going on? He's like, oh, I haven't been doing much. I'm like, this guy's usually very productive, you know? I'm yeah. like, why is that? He's like, well, in Egypt, there's no such thing as being productive. You, you, if you're not at work, you're just with family. Like, you, like people literally will travel two hours a day to just go and sit around with family, like watching TV or just to be yeah. with the family. Yeah. So uh, obviously it's not productive, but it's also... Uh, you know, it's good. It's a community thing. It's a family thing. Uh, it's it's developing those relations, and it's also very unselfish. It's like me. Let me be with the the, uh, the group rather than let me be on my own and do my own thing that's benefiting myself. You know. Yeah. Obviously, you need a balance, right? But it's like uh, this. This is something I noticed, Yanni. I'm not going to say if it's good or bad, but there's more enthusiasm in the West for sure. Hmm. But um, there's also a uh, a lack of some of the foundational things. That's what I'll say. Yeah. That's yeah, what I'll say. yeah, yeah. I mean, you've got. Also, do you agree with that? Or? I do to some extent. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, um, you've got like the way I look at it is everything that we develop in the West in terms of this kind of uh, behavior is all by the book, and yeah. uh, very little of it is based on a, um, a cultural foundation that's developed over hundreds of years. Yes, this yeah. is it. Yeah. yeah. So when I'm in Tunisia, there are things that are always considered without anybody reading a book to tell yeah. them. Always considered this is wrong, this is right. Even if it's not halal haram, yeah. they would say, you know, you can't do that. That's just not right. Or that's shurma or it's aib. Yeah. Yeah, you know? exactly. yeah. But then here it's like, okay, everything has to be by the book, which is fine, which is yeah. authentic, which is if that's you don't have you, the culture. That's how you begin to develop a culture, yeah, I guess. That's how you yeah. start. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, we haven't got the luxury of things being a given. And then that does spark. This is why I think now in the in the West, mm. when we, you know, when someone says something like a ruling, yeah. right, which is 
based in our, you know, based in the, the the text, based in you know authenticity. Yeah. People will think it's it's just extreme and it's crazy. And where's it come from? Do you understand? Yeah. yeah. But like sometimes, if you if you take that same ruling and throw it in in the, you know the Arab world, and they might yeah. not be aware of it, well, they think, yeah. well, yeah, fair enough. Something yeah. as simple as like. Um, it varies. It varies because there was something like the hammam. You know, hammams that we have. Yeah, yeah. Like in in uh, where is it? In Morocco. Mm. Um, I don't know how they do it. I'm not going to go into too much detail, but um, <laughs> they they do a, they go obviously women go a lot and yeah. and it's not really appropriate for them to be. Well, just to explain, it's like a doing. it's like a bath where you go to have yeah. a bath, and it's like a, a communal like bath, a communal, yeah, yeah, but. Yeah. So, so te- technically, it shouldn't really be done, right? Yeah. 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 Um, and this, uh, this, this is a discussion that happened in my family recently. And uh, obviously, my sister's a, uh, a bit more up to date in terms of texts and, and, you know, that kind of haram thing. But, like, her, the aunties aren't aware of that kind of thing. Mm. So, when my sisters refused to go, my aunties were calling them out, like, what are you doing? It's normal, blah, blah, blah. But then in Algeria, when my wife got involved in this discussion, in Algeria, it's common knowledge. Like, if, if a woman doesn't want to go or yeah. her husband doesn't let her because of Dean, then it's fine and it's normal and it's not argued because they can see where that, you know, where the hair comes, comes from and the modesty comes from. But yeah. so it varies from country to country and yeah, what the norms course. are. So yeah. when we when we do this, like, you know, clash of civilizations, typical West-East divide, yeah. it's never as easy as that. You know? Of course, yeah. <laughs> no, like Algeria, Tunisia, Morocco, they are all different histories. I mean, like Tunisia and uh, Algeria probably have quite like very different histories. Yeah. Um, also, even currently, it's very different, isn't it? Yeah. Um, as like also, the, you know, what's very interesting is out of all the whole Arab world, every country is colonized except the Gulf. So yeah. That's that's also interesting. If you look at the culture in the Gulf and you look how Islam is practiced in the Gulf, it's uh it's also um, a, produ- uh, a creation a, of not being colonized. Yeah, it's there also is a Bedouin mix, kind of culture. There's a misconception as well, which might as well state it. A yeah. lot of people assume that the Gulf was colonized by Britain, and no, it was just these, a mandate. But it, yeah, but it wasn't. Like, so when people say that, they need to be aware that no, it wasn't. Yeah, and you can't compare the two. But it is what it is, and you can see the you can literally see the effects of colonization on on the minds and the culture of Bro, North nuts. Africans. It's we could crazy. do a whole. I mean, if we did enough research, we could do a whole episode on that. Of course. But uh, in the sixties, seventies, let's just say, in uh, the Middle East, in North Africa, uh, women were not wearing hijab. Let's just say that. <laughs> yeah, of course. So, I mean, it's it's, it's funny. changed I mean, a lot, you know. It used to be. It used to be very similar to like it wouldn't be the same sort of like niqab, for example, but it would mm. be niqab in the sense that it was called hayek, I be- think, or something yeah, like yeah. that. Before um, colonization, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. and and even during a lot of colonization in more yeah, rural areas. Yeah. But you know, I mean, there's video footage of one of the presidents of Tunisia at one point, like removing the veil of a woman in the street, because right. obviously it, there was an agenda to sort of do that and de like more what's the word become more french i suppose <laughs> so okay. and, and that's, that's what this? it is uh god well the video was black and white so that will give you an indication okay. yeah <laughs> but yeah it, it is what it is i mean mm. i wanted to speak about this whole idea of so uh, just to to lay the foundation for this so like 
for example, my one of my cousins, yeah, just to give an example. Yep. One of my cousins, he grew up in, uh, I mean, like, let's say when he was a teenager, he was in a certain house, right, with his parents and his siblings, right? Mm-hmm. Now, he's still in that house now, and he's like 35, okay? okay? And he lives there with his wife and with his, his dad passed away, Allah yarhamu, but with his mom and stuff as well, okay? Yep. He has never, ne- he's never left that house, and he doesn't seem to be out to have to leave, and he's going to stay in that same small city probably for the rest of his life, you know? Okay, yeah. And most people are like that. Uh, traditionally, that's how it was, okay? Yeah. However, now, uh, be, people are moving, isn't it? Like last maybe 20, 30 years, people are moving to find work. Most of the reason is because I can't find work where I am, so I'm yeah. going to move, right? Yeah. And so this means that the way me and you are talking, like we moved into these different cities, this is going to become more and more normal. Oh yeah, and of uh, already like I don't know in the US. The US is a huge country. You might grow up in New York or whatever. You might move to Florida, or move to I don't know Oregon or whatever, isn't it? Yeah. So and all of those areas are going to be different. So um, what you end up with is I guess uh, people are moving and they're not going to take their parents with them and everyone's going to come with yeah. them most of the time. Yeah. So you end up with split families and you end up with like. Uh, you know, you want, for example, your kids might not spend as much time as they normally would with their grandparents and all that. So this is the new, this is like globalization, really. And this mm. is people, uh, you know, they're looking for economic opportunities, you know, looking for jobs. And uh, it's it's obviously having a huge societal effect. So yeah. um, there's no choice, is there? I mean, yeah, that's a lot the way of the, the time. world is going. A lot of the time. And everyone's like moving into cities as well, which has a ch- an effect on society mm. so uh, I think you're you're different to me in the sense that to me it sounds like you are open to the idea of moving and traveling and changing you know for now <laughs> yeah me personally I'm quite the opposite like yeah, you're married a, with a with kid boy no but even before like oh, I didn't really, really want to go anywhere else like I was okay. sort of done with that sort of you so know, wait how many years were you in Brighton like uh, so, from age 10 right yeah maybe 9 10 so I'm 24 now so 14 years yeah? yeah that's yeah. interesting because I told you I was in UAE for 14 years but um, I was still you know the difference is when you're in UAE you know, you've got it in the back of your head I could leave in a year I could leave at the end of this year always yeah. so it's never this thing of I planted this anchor here and I'm staying. Yeah. So that probably caused me to never get like too committed to one place. But is that anything to do with like the idea of your citizenship not necessarily being, you know, you're not actually a UAE citizen or you weren't born? Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. that's what I'm saying. When I was in school, it's like, uh, I don't know, year nine. Okay, if my dad loses his job, we might have to leave. So yeah. no year 10 here. Year 10, same thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so even if no choice. I think no actually if I was once I went to uni here uh, in that case uh, at that time uh, if even if my dad got fired I wouldn't have had to leave because I was on my independent visa but yeah so that's how everyone lives here and uh, some people have been here for 30 years um, but you know you it's hard to retire here and stuff so it's a very uh, temporary well, kind of thing let's Give, let's let's ask the question that most people are listening for. What's do that? you do you think that it is worth? I mean, it's quite a loaded question. But is it worth 
moving to a Muslim country, yeah, you know, to practice Dean and what are the pros and cons of it? And yeah. considering you've had a taste of both, yeah, and maybe me as well, yeah. So, oh, what do man. you think? This could be a whole episode as well, but, <laughs> but it's part of the culture. Yeah, it has to be addressed. Yeah. So, um, well, the answer is uh, I'm living in a Muslim country now, and I wasn't. I, I was in the UK. Um, was it two years ago? I was in the UK. I came yeah. here. Yeah. So, uh, so that's kind of the answer. I do think. Uh, I do think it's a good idea. Actually, yeah. I encourage everyone to do it. Now, do I expect everyone to be able to do it? Is another another question, of course. Yeah. But I, uh, I do think. I do think. Uh, yeah, it's a good idea, and I do think. Uh, I think uh, you won't regret it. You know, because in the end, uh, the real regret is Yom Al Qiyamah, and. Mm. I, I really do think if you, if you stay in the in the West and certain other places, um, you know, you might regret it, Yom Qiyama. But not because maybe of your life, but because of your grandkids or your great-grandkids right. and how they turn out. And do you think so, that's why a lot, of, a lot of Muslims that maybe don't have close ties to where they, you know, if they're, if they're from, yeah. yeah, where their parents might be from, do you think they try to aim for like the Khalij and you know Dubai and all those areas because it softens the blow a little because it's a bit of a not compromise but like more of a best of both worlds scenario of course yeah that's why they do it um, yeah. because the salaries are good here quality of life can be good um, but you don't get stability here you can't say I'm moving here and that's it yeah. you can't retire here uh, you can't you know, you don't have that stability. So uh, I don't know if I, I... I actually would only encourage you to like come to the Gulf as a temporary thing and as a, uh, you know, like re really and truly, just come and like make some extra money if you can and uh, live in maybe a better environment if it's of better. Of course, of course. And, uh, but, but you need another plan, actually, I think. You need, uh, you need somewhere where you can either get citizenship or you already have citizenship. That's what I think. And that, like, let's be real, that will probably require a, a downgrading of your lifestyle. Yeah. But, uh, but this is where your priorities have got to come in, Saraha. Like, this is, um, yeah, like, I, I actually do plan to live in Algeria and that's going to be a lifestyle downgrade and uh, so be it. That's how I feel, you yeah. know. I mean, for me... Um I guess Tunisia is a difficult one to give as an example because when I'm there, like the one thing that I think, the one thing that makes me think I'm just not going to go back to yeah. the UK is just the fact that the mosque is opposite my house. Like just that little thing, right? Yeah. And it, it, I could just walk there for every prayer and come back, just that. But then everything outside of that little tale is difficult yeah. because forget the, you know, putting economy being bad and everything and lifestyle and quality of life to the side. Yeah. Just to practice your deen is difficult yeah. in Tunisia, surprisingly, you know. Mm. Um, and, and these are terms of like, you know, keep your beard clean shaven and because people won't bother you and the police won't bother you and the government mm. won't bother you and that kind of thing. Yeah. But my battle is like, you know, <laughs> give it all up for just the fact that I can go to the masjid every day. But couldn't and, you live near a masjid in Brighton? Yeah, yeah, I could. But at the same time, you know... It's it's a different. It goes back to what you were saying earlier. Everybody's Muslim, yeah. But then there are certain, uh, what's the word? Open open displays of Islam that 
sort of push buttons of people, you know? Like yeah. everybody's everybody's salam alaikum wa alaikum salam. Everybody yeah. fasts Ramadan, everybody celebrates Eid. Mm. But then, you know, if you're openly not even forget politics, forget, you know, public displays of any sort of conflict or anything like that, nothing like that. But just, you know, I've got my beard on, I've got my thobe on, people look at you funny. Yeah. You know? okay. And and that that is Anyway, it is what Tunisia it is. Tunisia is pretty unique in that sense. That, yeah, so that that's what I wanted to say. Yeah, it is a very unique case. I mean, if I was in Morocco, not that I can really... I haven't really got any sort of hope or plan of ever moving there because it's not really... doesn't work that way. But if I was to, that would probably be a better bet. And even Algeria. Like, I'm planning to go to Algeria soon just to visit in-laws. And well, I just, you'd be the, lucky if you get Algerian passport. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. But, but I'll just, sell you one. <laughs> Just hearing about it is really incredible. Like, it just sounds really good. So I'd yeah, love to. Algeria is good. Um, you know what? Uh, yeah. So Tunisia is pretty unique. Uh, but look, I'm not. I'm not gonna say like we could have a long conversation about this. I'm not gonna say like every single person should move to the Muslim world. Um, in the end, moving is gonna be for the purpose of increasing your iman and uh, increasing, uh, uh, decreasing the risk of yeah. Uh, getting influenced negatively and yeah. for your kids as well right so yeah. this is the reason now you have to uh, analyze the situation and see okay if i go to this country will it, will it help me in that objective mm. will it, if i go to this country will it help me in that objective what i really dislike is people in the uk sitting in the uk and assuming it's actually really arrogant assuming oh over there they're not religious really they're not religious there really this this and then they stay in the uk now that's ignorant like and it's arrogant go there go there for a month or two weeks or three as long as you can go really yeah. take it in and get rid of your arrogance yeah go there with mm -hmm. an empty cup and see what happens see what you discover and there's a flip side to that as well. There's also the arrogance of, oh, it's easy to move there. I'm a British citizen, so they'll just eat me up. You know, yeah, there's that no, sort yeah, of... No, yeah. That, that's, yeah, that's actually a good point because you're saying that when you go to Tunisia, they see you as the British guy. And uh, in Algeria, this like phenomenon, obviously there were like, I don't know, four million Algerians in France or whatever. Yeah. Um, and they, they will visit their family in Algeria and they'll come and they won't really... Um, integrate you could call exactly, it that for exactly, real. Yeah, they yeah, already yeah. integrate and so i find that because i was never that kind of person i was always the one who would live exactly like try and live exactly how algerians live yeah uh, because in the end i'm algerian and that's how i saw myself so why and also yeah so uh, you get these people they'll come and they'll try and stick to their like way of living and thinking uh, yeah but in a in a completely different culture and that never goes down well um but out like out of all like my family that lives out of Algeria and visit I was yeah. always the one who was trying to be more like just normal people and that and I got treated more like that as well well it's crazy isn't it I mean well I was thinking recently as well just like a final point is um in terms of like Khalij and you know you've got Saudi and UAE and stuff obviously yeah. recently I feel like I don't know you can back me up but recently I feel like the doors to like they're opening their doors a bit more now or they're trying to or they're planning to so there are there may be opportunities on the horizon for people to actually obtain you know more security if they wanted to move there like especially saudi at the moment is really trying to open its doors up more to 
not just foreign mm. investment, but like I've heard things about citizenship and all things fro- flying around. Uh, some people argue it's because you know the oil money is drying up. Allahu yeah. alam. But so there are things on the horizon, and if you you know if that is part of somebody's agenda and they don't mm. have anywhere, I mean you have a lot of reverts, for example, that really just want to experience something different and be in a Muslim yeah. country. Yeah. You know they may not have any you know links or whatever, but. Mm. You know there are there are opportunities. You just got to keep your eyes open. Yeah, I actually don't. I, I actually think the Khalij is closing. Really? Yeah, because okay. okay. So like the last five seven years, there's been a campaign to get more uh, local people into jobs. Okay. Which means everyone that came here out from from outside for jobs, those jobs are now not available for them because it's only for local people. Right. Um, so those jobs are disappearing, and as the as the uh, re- the locals get more and more educated and skilled, they're going to take more and more jobs. Okay. So that's one aspect, and that's happening in UAE and Saudi. Yeah. Uh, a lot. Um, then, uh, as also as the oil money uh, dries up, um, uh, there's going to be less jobs as well. I think because generally the economy is going is going to be weaker. You know. Okay. And even if I know, like they have a, they're gonna implement like a green card uh, program in Saudi, um, but I don't know if you would want to live in Saudi uh, once the oil money uh, just becomes less and less, mm-hmm. because the the economy would be pretty weak, I believe, and I believe they're investing pretty late in the game for to save things. Yeah. So I don't know. Uh, but right what? now, like today. It's still a good option, yeah. but in in three, four, five years, I'm not too sure. See, this um, goes back to what I was saying earlier. What we were both saying, really, in terms of uh, the priority of why you're doing it and why you want to move. For example, yeah. like if it is about Dean, then yeah. personally, in my own head, yeah, yeah Mecca Medina around the corner. Yeah, it's still good. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and if you're going to live low, uh, like a low quality of life, yeah, you know, if I was going to live, if I ha- if I had no choice and I could just, uh, I had to pick somewhere so like yeah. I, if i didn't have tunisia then yeah i'd rather live a low quality of life in saudi for example because of mecca yeah. and medina um, yeah then you know anywhere else you can because justify of the, it i can justify it more than anything else yeah. well i mean yeah we've hit an hour i was thinking yeah. maybe do some emails yeah we can go a bit longer like there's not too much pressure on that side i don't think Huh? But okay. uh, bro, I just want to say finally about this whole moving to the Muslim world thing. Oh yeah. The, the main reason I encourage it is because, um, like like we were saying, like those those foundations and those the cultural um, side of things which encourages the basic foundation of Islam. Um, that's the main reason actually, and I think that's healthy and it's still there. Yeah. And, uh, so it's kind of like imagine you 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 don't have foundations in a building and you build a fancy building on it. That that. So the foundation being that general foundation, the culture, everyone around you is Muslim kind of thing. Mm. You don't have inferiority complex and stuff. That's the foundation, right? Now, if you build a fancy skyscraper on that, which is, would be your ilm and your enthusiasm, gain knowledge and implement the extra sunnas and all this stuff, that's great if you could do both. Uh, but I feel like in, in the West, a lot of time, your foundation won't be very stable. So you build a skyscraper on top of that, it might collapse. So that's kind of the analogy I would use, and that's yeah, why. No doubt. That's why uh, I think you know. Also, it's just stuff like peer peer pressure. You know, in the West, you have certain pressures from uh, living in a non-Muslim country and stuff, 
which force you to feel like you have to assimilate. Maybe it gives you inferiority complex, stuff like that. Of course. So this stuff eats away at you, Yanni, and we've already seen the results of that. So that's the main reason. And there are many options, like Malaysia's an option. Uh, you, if you have a British passport stuff, you could go there. You might, who knows? I don't know about getting citizenship. Morocco, they give you citizenship if you're there for like six years, I think. Um, then you've got Egypt. You know, there are like some reverts, like African-American reverts. They went to uh, Egypt 20 years ago and they're still there on a tourist visa. Yeah, 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 you know? So it's about your priorities, I think. If you prioritize your Islam and the Islam of your kids and all that and you see where things are going in different parts of the world, then you'll find a way out, inshallah, and may Allah make it easy for everyone. Inshallah. <coughs> Oh, okay, uh, emails. All right, let's <laughs> let's check the emails out. Um, <coughs> oh, I mean, may Allah grant you shifa, Achi. So ill, guys, make dua for Amin. <laughs> Come on, that Allah cures him of his illness. I mean, you still there? Yep. Oh, I thought your mic died. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, let's have a look. We got an email from. What are the initials here? FS. Okay. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. If you know any Oh, good. It says, please keep my name and email anonymous. <laughs> that was a close one. Um, okay, hope this email finds you in the best of state of health and iman. I think this is a reply to episode five when we were talking about. Yeah, I think time. they messaged me and I sent, I told them to send it to the email so we mention it. Oh, okay. Um, I thought I'd give a quick comment on the notion of teenager, which was brought up by Brother Amin in the last episode. I've studied this in one of my sociology classes at university. The assen- the And essentially, the whole idea of teenager is kind of related to emergence of the school institution. During the Industrial Revolution, a lot more labour work was needed by the big cities, so this would mean the cities became overpopulated by the influx of rural people into urban areas which we're sort of seeing now, aren't we? Yeah. Um, which eventually led to oversaturated workplaces as well. Since they already had too many workers, society needed a buffer period put in place, the school system. Young adults, in order to in order to be kept from the workplace, began to be labelled as teenagers as an excuse to get placed in school. There are Ooh. so many other reasons why the notion of teenager came about as well. I read an article recently that mentioned that the word teenager was really emphasised in the 1950s, because teenagers are the perfect uh, consumers. Teenagers are just babied young adults. So babied by the school system, there is almost no difference between high school and elementary kids. Oh, elementary. Kids are not (laughs) treated more independently in high school by teenagers. And this because of their lack of independence makes them gullible. They're easy to influence, yet old enough to buy a product, the perfect consumers. Blooming companies in the 1950s targeted the population of society and it worked to their economic advantage. Mm. Um, A lot more could be said about this whole idea of teenager, but I'm glad it was brought up in your podcast. There's a second part to that, but yeah, what do you think about that at the moment? Very good. I mean, they obviously studied it. I didn't study it. I just just brought it up. I did sociology at university as well, and I remember that specifically. Yeah, um, I mean, obviously we said it was a social construct, Yeah. Um, but it's interesting to know some of the reasons people might have wanted that to be constructed. Mm. Uh, Similar to feminism, really, like 
part of the reason to to go push that whole agenda is because of the whole consumer side of things. Yeah, but also like situationally, there was that whole, you know, the rights of women were. Yeah, I mean, I we were we had the benefit. Of it, well. Yeah, we had the benefit of Islam to sort of bring those rights about, but a lot of people yeah. didn't, and then yeah, yeah. it sort of went crazy afterwards. Yeah. Um, the second part of the question was as was an actual question. Mm. Uh, also, could you tackle this question? How do you deal with people who are practicing yet have terrible akhlaq? Do you still befriend these people even if, even though their character is a complete turnoff and they're labeled religious because of how they dress? They go to classes, memorize Quran. Personally, being practicing and having bad manners are contradictory, so I don't label someone as practicing if they don't have basic good manners and etiquettes. Even if they wear jilbab, have a beard, and do all things I mentioned above, what do you think? Um, I'll just start by saying, in relation to what we spoke about, you you mentioned I mean about like this whole grouping of people practicing and not practicing and this and yeah. that, and yeah. it's highlighted that someone you know someone labelled as practicing might not be labelled as practicing somewhere else, and that label that we give to people that oh they are practicing now is so arbitrary and so. You know, it, it, it's so yeah, and it's so subjective from person to person. Because yeah. to to me, practicing means praying, okay. Right. But to someone else, practicing means praying, fasting, giving zakah. You know, the five day, the five. Can you imagine yeah. the five the five fundamentals? To someone else, it's uh, they've got a beard, they've got this, they've got that. Do you understand? So it's difficult to say. Yeah. Oh, someone has bad manners. So this and that. So in 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 the ultimate perspective, of what I could say is. Every Muslim has things that they need to do in terms of the fundamentals, right? Yeah. But just because a Muslim has got bad manners or swears a lot, but is still doing those things, still doing the fundamentals, doesn't make them any less of a Muslim or a practicing Muslim. Do you understand what I mean? There was this thing raised recently about... Uh, Niqabis and hijab. I hate those labels. I'm I'm sorry to use them. Women who wear niqab or wear hijab. Yeah. Uh, the the headscarf or um, there was something regarding them not not like uh, maybe for example smoking shisha. Okay. Yeah. I remember once someone went. Uh, someone told me oh, I just saw I was walking Edgeware Road. I saw women in uh, niqab smoking shisha. Okay. Right. And then uh, I know there is this there is a double edged sword to this. I was always thinking well they're fulfilling an obligation that maybe the woman sitting next to them isn't. Mm. But they're both sinning the same way. Mm. So, in one aspect, I'm thinking, well, at least she's doing one thing that someone else isn't doing in terms of the the modesty and that and the niqab. But then, on the other hand, people say, well, she's giving a bad image to the niqab and she's not treating the niqab with respect. Do you understand what I mean? And that goes with swearing and bad manners. So, yeah, it can be argued on both sides. What do you think? This is a whole thing, man. Uh, (laughs) So about the uh, look, yeah, I don't, I don't really like. I said, I don't do the whole practicing, non-practicing. If you ask me, do they pray? I'll be like, yeah, they pray. They don't pray. If you ask me, do they pay their care? I'll be like, yeah, they pray. So give me a question with facts, something uh, black and white, rather than something which are they practicing or not. So, um, but yeah, I would agree with the person sent the email saying that if if I, like if you ask me, is so and so pious? Right, and they've got. Do they seem pious to you? Yeah, because yeah. who knows what's in the heart? Do they seem pious? If they got bad manners, and be like, no, not really. Like because for me, that's an extremely important part. 
um, part of the religion, yani. Yeah. Uh, after the basic stuff, the afarad, like it, it's all about it's all about how you speak, how you deal with people, and of you course. know, lil-nasi husna. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I, uh, should you hang out with people with bad manners? No, it doesn't matter. I mean, no, in the sense where their beard will not save them in terms yeah. of just because they have a beard and they have bad manners, it means you should hang out with them. No, they're going to rub off on you. Yeah, and there yeah. are there are people who uh, people study with and they have bad manners. I'm not going to yeah. study with them. I don't want to spend time with them. Yeah, I don't I don't care about labeling them or talking about them. But if you're saying for your own good, should you hang out with people with bad manners? Then obviously you don't. Yeah. It doesn't matter about the outside appearance if that's if that problem is there, you know. And all it is is like you're saying, bro, about shisha and niqab, and like there are things, there are bad things people do. There are good things that people do. Everyone's got a mixture of them. Exactly. And it's like it's like you got to hang out with people, obviously, with the more good, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, you also have to identify certain bad habits might rub off on you more than others yeah that's that's a point because you have to be self-reflective i think in this situation for example where i live in brighton um there aren't that many muslims and the ones that there are sometimes yeah they they do have bad manners and they do conduct themselves badly but do i think they have a bad influence on me i don't think so but do i think i have a good influence on them most likely yeah do you understand so like you know there's a few people in brighton that sometimes rely on me to get them back on the straight and narrow and i say that with all humility you know because <laughs> yeah because they have no a friend of mine he used yeah. to he used to go to one of my friends like he was like the one with the big beard and stuff my yeah. friend used to go to him he'd be like bro inject me with the dean <laughs> yeah. yeah but it's true <laughs> but if if you didn't have any working or friendship or relationship with that person yeah, then they, they would they would be lost in that sense and they wouldn't have yeah. so you've got to weigh it up and you really have to look and think I, I really do think that in terms of these situations you have to look at the effect they have on you do you feel like you're less of a better person by hanging out with them do you feel like you start using the words they use and and yeah you understand talking about the things they talk about because if they if you do then yeah remove yourself but if you're pretty solid and actually you're having more of an influence on them and it's more of a dower thing yeah and this is generally when it when it's one person if you're if it's a group of people and they're all like that then mm. I'd, I'd i'd argue that maybe it's more difficult to actually have any influence on any of them but mm. because it's one versus one then it sort of does change for the better yeah and overall i just think this whole categorizing people based on outward appearance is a bit silly man like like i said those guys that praying fajr in the masjid none of them had beards so i just i don't categorize unless i really have to as well yeah exactly they're level and the thing is we can only categorize by what you know the dean has categorized and a lot of the things that the dean categorizes people as we can't even openly or outwardly see it you know when it comes to like iman and ihsan and yeah you know islam for example like you can't always and then the people that do make those decisions are generally the ulama you know when some, yeah. when you know we don't start calling people kafir and we don't start calling people this and that and hypocrites and whatever that's not for yeah. us to decide how you should treat everybody on their own merits and the good that they have and the bad that they have and weigh up on yourself if they're giving you a bad you know they're making you a worse person then yeah you can separate yourself that way exactly Ooh. do we have another question um or another email we have we have a few but i mean yeah. i am running low on time right now 
unfortunately. Okay. So we'll have to save it, inshallah, for the next. But yeah, inshallah, whoever I'm going to email that person that emailed us and tell them that we've answered their question. Um, yeah. Any other questions or suggestions or submissions uh, that anyone wants to send, they can send them to uh, mindheistpodcast at gmail.com. Inshallah. Uh, yeah, we'll try and get better with <laughs> with uh, planning these weekly. We are yeah. trying yeah, to jump. We'll, we'll like, do it, inshallah. Yeah, every we'll, Sunday, inshallah. We'll, yeah, I mean, it's Sunday now, so we're doing it. We had a bit of a uh, hiccup this morning because the clocks went back and that people yeah. was telling me that the clocks were going to go back <laughs> yeah. but alhamdulillah okay uh, I mean, anything else you're working on recently uh, what am I working on Just I put out some good videos recently Sarah Masters oh. on YouTube Ooh. and uh, I want to say thanks everyone for listening and for the reviews uh, this week's call to action instead of uh, reviewing I want to ask you to share the podcast uh, on your social media if you enjoy it then share it and just write one sentence about what you liked about it. Maybe that will encourage people to listen. Yeah. So uh, please uh, do share it, share the link and stuff. Yeah, the podcast itself isn't necessarily current events. So it it's easy to go into the backlog and, and click on a topic that interests someone. So yeah. if it's a topic that's relevant to someone or someone's interested in it, then you can share that with them. I think that's sure. the danger with doing a current events podcast is that people don't really like to hear about old news. Yeah, yeah. You know, so yeah, we don't do that. We don't do. We might touch on one or two in the future. Yeah, for but, sure. Yeah, but at the moment we're keeping it quite general. I was going to try and see if I can bring up one review to read out, um, because you know why not read out reviews? Let's have a uh, look. I just got Wait. iOS eleven, so the app is different. Yeah, so everything's different. Let's have a look. Let's scroll down. Oh God, there's a long one here. We have a review here. Uh, I'm always a skeptic. It says honest review on on the title. It says I'm always a skeptic about subscribing to podcasts purely because of the value of content over quantity. With that, I believe is now with what I believe is now a weekly podcast. It is perfect because I don't feel like I need to catch up with the content every day. The quality of the content is good, clear, and very relatable. If it wasn't mentioned, I would have guessed you wasn't in the same room. I feel like I always learn at least one on one new thing when I tune in, which I can implement into my own life. After many failed attempts of trying to write a review, I appreciate the heads up from Aki tweet for explaining how to actually post it. Hashtag first world problems. That's from my waste <laughs> brand. <laughs> Thank you, Oasis. Thank you. All right. It's been a good episode. We yeah. could, once again, with these things, we can just go on forever. And we might end up revisiting a lot of these topics because they are very big. Yeah, definitely. So uh, please share the podcast and uh, what's it called? Email us with questions or suggestions. And uh, right. anything before we end it? Uh, be good to your parents. Inshallah. <laughs> 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 okay. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.